Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show. I'm the producer of the show, David Lally, and I want to congratulate the boss on the success of his brand new book, The Emigrant Edge. It's a New York Times, Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and Amazon bestseller. If you haven't gotten a copy yet, do yourself a favor, get down to your local or online bookstore. It's a fantastic read. In the meantime, here's your host, Brian Buffini. Well, the top of the morning to you, and welcome to the Brian Buffini Show. Today is going to be part two of our interview with the legend of personal growth and development, Mr. Brian Tracy. Now, Brian has been a mentor of mine through books and tapes and audio, and then our friendship here for a number of years, lives right here in San Diego. In our last episode, if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, Brian talked about his background, how he lifted himself from being an unemployed farm laborer to becoming a top salesman, a successful real estate investor, and he told a fantastic story about his first real estate development in Calgary. And ultimately, Brian has gone on to write many, many books, over 80 best-selling books, multiple audio programs that I have listened to countless times. So, Brian, we want to thank you for sticking around. Uh, One thing we didn't get a chance to get into was your new book called Success Habits of Millionaires and Billionaires. I like the sound of that. Why don't we dive into that right away? You were over at our building next door where it had our sales building, and there was the the Covey Training Center, (laughs) right? And we dedicated that to Stephen Covey, Lord of mercy on him. But the seven habits of highly effective people. There's a lot of books out there now. Charles Duhigg has a good one on the power of habit. There's lots of great stuff. But there's some people who've been around a long time who've understood the power of habit for a very long time and have seen it work, and you're one of them. You've got a new book coming out, Success Habits of Millionaires and Billionaires. I just love the idea. And it's in many, many areas of life. Can you talk to us a little bit? Give us an overview of that. Help us dive in. Because if there's some habits we can all learn to help raise our game and get closer to that millionaire or billionaire, whether it be in pounds, punts, or dollars, we're all open for it. Well, I began to study philosophy because I was in a high school dropout. And I was curious. And I began to read Aristotle, still my favorite philosopher. And what he said is about 95% of what we do is habit. Mm. And so, therefore, the, the secret to success is develop good habits and make them your masters. Just basically put yourself under the control of good habits. So I began to study, and again, I, just like self-made millionaires, it's a completely research subject. And so I began to look at the habits that people have. Health habits are very important because mm-hmm. to be successful, you have to have a lot of energy. Right. My grandmother used to say, health is wealth. Yes. Right? And you need health to enjoy your wealth. Yes. Why do people sit around watching television all the time? It's because they're tired. Mm. And why are they tired? It's because they eat poorly and they don't exercise. And they stay up until they're too tired to watch television anymore. They drag themselves off to bed. And the first thing they do in the morning is they get up and turn the television on again. And so I say, your television can make you rich or make you poor. It'll make you rich if you turn it off. (laughs) That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, and it'll make you Jeez. poor if you turn it on. So now, oh. recent research, self-made billionaires and millionaires invest more than one hour each day studying their craft. Mm. And they seldom watch more than one hour of television in a day. Yeah, And most of that's pre-recorded. Mm-hmm. So that's all they watch. They wait until 8 or 9 o'clock, watch one hour, go to bed. Mm. Go to bed early. Uh, self-made millionaires, wealthy people, get 8.5 hours of sleep per night, sometimes 9 or 10, because it's like recharging your iPhone when the battery starts to go red and so on. That's what 
most people are at the end of the day. They're they're burned out. And if you don't charge up to the point where your batteries are fully blasted, you can't perform well. And the competition today is phenomenal. Yeah. It's almost like being in a physical athletic race. Mm. Is if you're running against people who are very good runners. So for in order for you to be a big success, you have to be strong. Mm. So you have to eat well. You mm-hmm. have to sleep well. You have to rest well. And don't watch more than an hour of television. And I looked back retrospectively when I was reading this research, and I found I very seldom watch more than an hour of television. Mm-hmm. And I watch it at the end of the day just to unwind. Mm. I never go home at night and watch television. Mm. And my family doesn't watch television. My wife doesn't watch television. Mm-hmm. It's usually there on the side, like uh, getting a cup of coffee or something mm-hmm. like that. So that's one thing about millionaires and billionaires. Another thing is they get up before 6 a.m. Mm. each day. Poor people get up at the very last minute that they can to get to work, and they're late, so they eat a poor diet, yeah. crummy food, and then they rush off to work, and they're frantic, like rushing to catch a plane that you're about to miss. Mm. It takes about two to three hours for you to settle down mentally after almost missing a plane. Wow. The whole flight is pretty much lost in terms of your ability to read and plan and prepare mm. work and so on. Because you're all you're stressed out because you darn near missed that plane. And you've been on more planes than almost anybody I know. <laughs> and you've turned airplanes into your university. Yes. Right, where you study and read all your books. So you'd know a little bit about missing planes and what that actually effect is. And what you're saying is a lot of people wake up every morning and they've missed the plane. Yeah. So get up early. And yeah. another ritual that most people have is that they exercise every morning. Yep. And what that does is it gets their blood moving. It pumps freshly oxygenated blood to their brain. It makes them sharper and more alert, makes them smarter and more personable. Mm. There's a whole bunch of stuff on that. Another thing, one of the most important things of all of successful people is focus. Mm. Is they're very, very focused on those few things that they can do that will contribute the most income. Here's a little thing that I ask my sales audiences. I say, why do you get up in the morning and go to work? What's the reason? And there's usually a silence in the room. And I say, well, the answer is so that you can make more money. I call this MMM. Is you get up in the morning so you can MMM. (laughs) You don't want to make less money. You don't don't want to make the same amount. You want to make more. (laughs) Would would everybody here agree with that? And everybody says, yes, yes, that's true. (laughs) I say, so now you go to work and how can you make more money? And the answer is SMS which means sell more stuff. (laughs) So the way that you MMM is you SMS. So when are you actually working during the course of the day? The answer is when you're selling more stuff. And when are you selling more stuff is when you're face-to-face with the customer. So the only time you actually are working is when you're face-to-face with the customer. Right. And as Peter Drucker once pointed out, there's no customers in the office. Yeah. So if you're in the office, you're not working. I say you might as well go home pull the covers up over your head and go back to sleep because you're of no use to yourself or anybody else. You are not going to make any MMM because <laughs> you you're ain't doing any yeah. SMS. Yeah. So everything in sales, especially in your and my business, is being face-to-face with people who can buy from us. Right. If you're not face-to-face with people, so how do you double your income? Well, I have a little two-hour program, seven different ways to double your income. So salespeople, they say, oh, there's so much competition. There's so much. So how do you double your income as a salesperson? Well, I'm giving you the first part of it. The answer is the average salesperson in America, worldwide, spends 90 minutes a day with customers. Yeah. 
Right. It's about 90 minutes a day. And this has been going back to 1928 is when they began asking people how many hours you spend with customers each day. Mm. And I've done this exercise with companies and transformed them. So therefore, if you want to double your income, instead of spending 90 minutes, spend three hours. Right. Three hours a day. That's three hours a day out of eight. If you will spend three hours with customers by the law of probabilities, you'll double your income. Yeah. See twice as many people, make twice yeah. as many sales, irrespective of your level of sales skill at this time. Wow. And then I have people come back to me all over the world and they say, you know, I couldn't believe when when you said that. I say to myself, "What a jerk! This is an <laughs> this is one of those those those, those American motivational yeah, right, speakers yeah. and so on." And I began to think about it. I said, "Well, I'll give it a try." Yeah. And they did, and they said it was amazing. I doubled my income in thirty days. I'd been selling for ten years, yeah. and I doubled my income in thirty days, and it was almost effortless. I just stopped wasting my time talking to my coworkers yeah, and, and colleagues and, and, and checking my email and right. so on. I just got up in the morning and got out and started talking to people. Yeah. He said, it was unbelievable. Yeah. Now, I said, one more thing. What happens if you spend twice as much time talking to people each day, talking to customers? What's going to happen to your skill level? Yep. Skill level is going to increase, right? Your skill level is going to increase. And what will that mean? It means that you will make more sales in less time. Yep. You'll get better and better and earn more and more in less and less time. And so it's not going to be two times. It's going to be three times and right. four times and five times. Yep. And if you look at this history of successful salespeople worldwide, one, they get up early. Two, is they spent all their time talking to customers. Three, is they're continually upgrading their skills. And uh, what I used to do, people have asked me all the time, you know, the typical realtor sells six homes a year. I was an immigrant, didn't know anybody. I was young, which is hard to buy an expensive home from a young guy, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I was 21 years of age selling people $300,000 houses, right? But I was listening to audio programs from appointment to appointment. Yes. So I was getting the skill level increase from doing it, and I was also getting the skill level increase from listening. And now I'm selling 100 homes a year. You follow? <laughs> yep. And it's like now all of a sudden, man, you're this phenomenal success. How I ended up in the speaking business, Brian, I never told you this, is I was selling so many homes, they'd ask me, well, tell us how you're doing it and come to the conference. Right. And then I enjoyed telling stories and telling people my systems and how-tos. And then they go, well, can you do that again? And can you do that again? I realized, oh, hang on a second here. After two years of doing that and just, I'm like, there might be a market in this. Yes. And then I built a business, right? Yeah. So Turning point. Yeah, it was turning a turning point. point. Yeah. Yes, sir. And that was the turning point retreat. That's what we launched it with. So brilliant stuff. Give me a few more habits. That are just, they're rolling off your tongue. Now, I can tell how good this stuff is. We have a control room full of my staff in here, and they're all taking notes in there. Right. They're taking notes on the call on right. how to become more successful and how to apply this stuff, which isn't that the magic, right? Right. Because you're given the how-tos. You're not just saying, sit in the lotus position. It's going to happen. Here's the how-tos. We're on a roll. Come on, give us a few more. I, I'm so excited about well, this. Well, we could book. talk. I've written actually 84 books now. Wow. And my 85th uh, is just coming out. Wow. And I've got a contract for 86 and 87. I just keep coming up with ideas or yeah. publishers come up. So I've written a lot of stuff. We could spend many, many yeah. hours. But one thing I would like to really focus on, there's been several very good research studies done in the last couple of years, is why do people buy from other people? Why do people influence other people? Yeah. And what they found was the number one requirement is trust and affection. People like and trust the other person. Mm. And the second requirement is that the other person is competent at what they do. Yeah. But they develop their feeling toward you of warmth and trust 
in four to five seconds mm. after meeting you. First wow. handshake. But it takes them sometimes hours or weeks to develop a confidence that you are good at what you do mm. and that you will help me to improve my situation in a cost-effective way. So in life, we say the person will not buy from you until they are convinced that you are their friend and you are acting in their best interest. Mm. So one of the most important things that we do, not just in business or sales, is that we are very, very nice to people. Is we are warm, we're compassionate, we uh, listen, we ask a lot of questions, and we focus on helping people. And I think the turning point, my friend Cavett Robert, who founded oh, the National yeah. Speakers Association, yeah. he was a good speaker. I mean, he just told all kinds of great stories. And he used to get himself prepared behind the stage and he would say, oh, I'm so good, I'm so good, I'm so good. And then he would run out onto the stage. He was one of these old-time motivational evangelical yeah. He'd run out on the stage and he'd say to himself, here I am, here I am. And he said, and he was quite successful. He was yeah. quite successful over time. But then he realized that something was missing and he realized it wasn't about him. Mm. It's about the audience. Yeah. And so he changed his whole way of thinking and we would run onto the stage and he would say, there you are. There you are. And I found that that is the big difference in influencing people. Mm. Is it here I am or there you are? Wow. That is brilliant. Yeah. That is brilliant. And so I think the reason that I'm successful as a speaker, and you as well, because we have exactly the same philosophy, is we want so much to help our listeners yeah. improve their life and work. Yeah. And we read and study, and it's almost like a really great doctor that takes additional courses so that he can do the very best treatment. We want to help people so that this becomes a turning point for them. Right. Yeah. Well, I have a feeling this 85th book you wrote, Success Habits of Millionaires and Billionaires, is going to be a huge success. It is rooted in principle. It is tried and true. It is full of how-tos, and it's just what the doctor ordered. I'm going to ask you for your perspective because you actually were so kind to write an endorsement for my new book. And I sent the book to an awful lot of people, friends of mine, 35 best-selling authors that are good friends of mine that we've been down the path. You came back with, Brian, I want you to think about this, where you, you had digested the content. One of the seven traits of people being successful, I said, is they, they have a boldness to invest. And you wanted to change that to a boldness to risk. And you were into the nitty-gritty. You didn't just read it. You digested it. You challenged the thinking. You came back with it. I was like, of course, that's Brian Tracy. Of course, you know. But I want to talk about this, not in regards to the dynamic of what I'm doing, but you were also one of the people, you, Zig Ziglar, and Jim Rohn were people that influenced me, that reminded me as an immigrant, you told me that I had an advantage. Now, I didn't feel like I had an advantage. I didn't know anybody. I didn't know the culture. I tell the story of selling my first multi-million dollar home and I, I was so close to making the sale and then I opened up the veranda and I told the person, and in the backyard we have 37 guacamole trees right here in Rancho Santa Fe. And the buyers and sellers are looking at me like, that sounds kind of strange. This guy might not know what he's talking about. Because I didn't know that guacamole didn't grow on trees. <laughs> I, we didn't have avocados in Dublin growing right. up. So, you know, I felt like I had tons of disadvantages. I didn't know the, the lingo. I didn't know the culture. I didn't know the humor. Right. I certainly didn't have access to capital. I didn't know people. But I remember hearing you and Zig and Jim Rohn go, oh, 
you know, immigrants are making it bigger in America than anywhere else. And there's a high percentage of immigrants making it. And, and it gave me this great confidence. And as I've gone on to my own success, you know, I studied that principle and, and then wrote a book about it. But I'd love you to share your thoughts on that. I did this thing, The Emigrant Edge. Why is it you see that and what you see about people who come here with nothing that are so commonly successful? Well, one of the reasons is their belief system changes. Mm. It is extremely wrenching to move and give up your entire home, culture, country, family, everything, and move away and never come back again. And that's what happened 100 years ago. Today, you can buy a ticket. Yeah, but even I came in 1986. You know, we didn't have Skype. We were the only people on our street with a telephone. Wow. A telephone was very, very expensive. A call, like in the 31 years I'm living in America... My parents have initiated a phone call four times. Wow. Three of them were where someone died in the family. Huh. Now, it doesn't mean my parents don't love me or whatever else. I initiate the calls all the time. But for them, the telephone is this extraordinary expense. Yes. And now we have Skype and this and that. And the other. But when I left home, I was gone. When I had my motorcycle accident here in San Diego, I was six weeks down in UCSD Medical Center wow. in Floor 7, Ward 7, where they put the prisoners Wow. from the local hospitals they'd done surgeries on. I never told my parents that I'd been in a car wreck. Huh. I never called home to say, they say I got gangrene, I might lose my leg. I never called home, not because I didn't love them, but because I know they'd be so concerned. And as an immigrant, you feel this responsibility. I felt like they'd sell, they had one car, they'd sell the car to come and sit by my bed, and I, I couldn't do it. No. So I, they never knew. But you talk about it all the time, and there is that lonely. I mean, they leave. And you leave everything behind. And I have so many stories yeah. from immigrants that were so good. I remember this. Let me tell you a quick joke. Yeah. Uh, two uh, immigrants from Europe get to America, and they uh, get to the, off the ship and take the bus terminal and take the bus into town. And they're uh, walking around New York. And New York is so incredible compared to... They're, and they're just looking around. Was, wow. And they have everything they own in a couple of cardboard boxes tied up with string. And one of them says, look at that, look at that. And he says, what's that? He says, this is a $20 bill on the sidewalk. It's a $20 bill. He said, geez, that's incredible. He said, well, we'll pick it up. You saw it first. He said, well, okay. And he started to pick it up. And then he stood up and said, well, I'm, I'm not sure. Well, why are you waiting? You saw it. That's your $20. He said, why are you hesitating? He said, well, I don't know if I want to work my first day in America. <laughs> Picking the money up off the street. (laughs) And that is how immigrants who have sacrificed so much, their beliefs, their confidence in their ability to succeed has to be so great it overcomes all the fear. Now, what is the greatest enemy of success? And I emphasize this over and over again. And it's basically, it's called the comfort zone. Mm. The comfort zone is about 80 to 90% of people become comfortable doing what they're doing. And then what they do is they fight and struggle against change of any kind. I teach one and two day courses on a subject called business model reinvention. And it's based on my discovery over the last few years is about 80% of companies or more are using the wrong business model. Mm. Now the business model is your profit model. Mm. Is how do you generate more profit? Actual money that you can put into your pockets and put into your bank account. And there's 55 different business models that account for about 90% of all business done in the world in every area. Mm. 
80 to 90 percent of business models are obsolete. In other words, it was a good business model when you started. Yeah. But things have changed. Yeah. And they're changing faster and faster. So as a result, you are using the old business model. You're comfortable with it. But you're having to work harder and harder to make any money. And I do seminars for as many as a thousand business owners. And I walk them through just a little system. I say, here are the 12 parts of a business model, like 12 parts of a piece of machinery. If any one of these parts in the machinery is broken or worn, then the machinery slows down and stops. Just like an old car. We yep. have a car and the car wouldn't work. And so what you do is you hold up each of the pieces of the machine, the business model. You hold it up and you look at it just like if you have a broken piece of machinery. You take it apart and you look at each piece and you replace the defective pieces. 90% of people never do that. They never even think about it. Mm. So what I do is I take them through and I give them some questions and some exercises, have them discuss it. And about 80% realize, and it's great, they realize, I am using a wrong business model. Mm. That's why my business is struggling. That's why I'm not making the sales and profitability that I want. So what you do is you go back and you just go through each of the 12 ingredients. And it is quite amazing. Sometimes they are so simple. Mm. One of the great examples is today, there was an announcement in the world press, Jeff Bezos is now the richest man in the world. Mm -hmm. He's richer than Bill Gates by $500,000, worth $90 billion as of Amazon stock going up yesterday. Wow. $90 billion. Well, he started off with an idea, and the idea was to sell books online. Right. That was all it was. Today, it is the biggest and most profitable online sales operation in the history of the world, plus a whole series of cloud computing that it makes available to thousands of companies and so on. And it's just growing and growing and growing. Now, why is this? It's because Jeff realized that what people want more than anything else, once they've decided to buy a book, is they want the book mm. in their hands quickly. But people don't have time to drive all the way across town to a bookstore and go there and go down the shelves and find out that the book's not available, but you can place an order and pay for it and it'll be available in two weeks and you come by and pick it up. So he had this idea that I'll make it easy for people to order a book. I'll give them a discount. If they buy the book, I'll unconditionally guarantee it if they don't like the book. Huh. And I'll make it a deal with the um, uh, various publishers to mail the books. Yeah. That's how he started with this one idea. Became the richest man in the history of the world mm. because he identified what I call the value offering. Mm. What is it that customers value more than anything else once they've decided to buy something? Mm. And that is getting it yeah. as fast as you can. He went from seven-day delivery to same-day delivery. Right. Right here in San Diego. They sure. deliver foods. They deliver books. They deliver the most popular things that people buy. If you order them by noon, they'll be delivered by five. Wow. Now they're delivering them on Saturday and Sunday. Crazy. None of this five-day-a-week stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting deliveries at home from Amazon on Saturday afternoon, wow. so Sunday morning. And people are lining up, and they're putting in millions and millions of orders. He's a juggernaut. He cannot yeah. be stopped. No. But the reason is because he's crystal clear about what he needs to do to make his customers happy. Mm -hmm. And everybody in the company is just obsessed yeah. with making customers happy. And he's a guy that would have a series of those habits that are outlined in, in your book, the success habits. Transitioning back here for a sec. I'm going to tell you the seven traits of immigrants. Okay. Here's what I would love. This is be a personal favor. I would love your take. I'm going to lay out the seven traits that I've studied in my own life. We examined over 200 of the most successful 
immigrants in America. Forbes 400 is rife. 28% of Forbes 400 richest people in the world are immigrants. 24% of the Fortune 500 companies were either founded by immigrants, children of immigrants, or are currently led by an immigrant. Right. So here's the seven traits that I've laid out. We've covered some of them today. I would just love Brian Tracy's take on these traits. Okay. It would be powerful. You've done 85 books. I've done other books, but I've always privately published them. This is the first one we've ever produced. So even though I got this big old business, I'm a novice in this area, and I'm excited. I was telling you some of the things I'm doing right now, it's almost like starting over, and it's been kind of fun, you know? But here's the seven traits. The first one is a voracious openness to learn that we see immigrants have. Hungry. They're, hungry. They're, they're hungry or less brown. Our friend used to say hungry, right? Hungry. So voracious openness to learn. Second is a do-whatever-it-takes mindset. Yes. The third is a willingness to outwork others. Yes. The fourth, which is a huge one, which I feel like is part of the power of an immigrant has and the edge, is the heartfelt spirit of gratitude. They're so thankful. They're so appreciative yeah. every day. It's the greatest country in the world. I can't believe I get to do this. This is amazing. The fifth is the boldness to invest, which you push back on the boldness to take risk and to go for it. Six is delayed gratification. Yes. And the start of the chapter is with a quote by Brian Tracy, which is, if you're willing to delay the immediate result of what you want now, you can have the much bigger result and yes. much bigger reward later on. Yes. And then the seventh is to remember where you came from. So those are the seven. I'd love your take on some of those traits and what you've seen and how you've seen that parlay yourself from your own experience, not just of watching immigrants, but of people who've been successful and how those traits show up. I agree with all seven of them, and I have written about all seven of them mm -hmm. and more in different places, different times. But as we were talking about earlier, there's nothing new under the sun. No. Is if something is true, it is always and everywhere true. It is what is called a timeless truth mm -hmm. and a universal principle. Mm -hmm. So when you say each of these things, these are timeless. Yeah. They have always been the same yeah. going back thousands of years. They're the same today, and the wonderful thing is that these are all learnable traits. Mm. And if you learn the trait and practice it, and the way that you learn anything is just is you do the thing and you shall have the power. Right. I was just reading something by Aristotle. He said the way that you develop a quality is you act as if you already have that quality whenever the quality mm. is called for. And so one of the most important is determination and persistence. You decide mm. that this is your goal, these are the steps that you're going to take, and then you work on it every day. And you work on it. You put tight deadlines on yourself, and you keep working on it. Now, you talk about risk-taking. One of the characteristics of self-made billionaires, especially, is that at a certain point in their life, they took a risk. Mm. Is They went all in, like Texas Hold'em poker, yeah. and they were successful. Mm. Peter Drucker has a beautiful line. He said, wherever you see a successful business, Someone once took a big chance. Yeah, They went all in, mm -hmm. and they invested the money, and sometimes they lost it all. Mm -hmm. And what they did is they immediately started over again and did it again. But each time you lose money, because the pain of loss is terrible, mm -hmm. each time you lose money, you learn an incredible amount. Right. I have a, an associate. He's an associate of yours, too. We don't call him a friend. But he got into a business with two or three other people in his mid-20s and worked their behinds off for two or three years, and went bankrupt. And he said, he went home, had to live with his mother. And he said, what am I going to do now? And he had no idea. And so he took out a spiral notebook, a school notebook, and he said, what have I learned? Uh -huh. 
And this is one of the most intelligent things I've ever heard. And so he said, what have I learned about people in my three years of working 15, 16 hours a day to build a business and failing? What have I learned about customers? What have I learned about money? What have I learned about time? What have I learned about myself? What have I learned about partners? What have I learned about customers? And he would put that at the top and he would just write every single lesson that he had learned. And it took him about two or three years to get up and get going again and kept reviewing his lessons. Mm. And the more he reviewed his lessons, the more he saw things that he could improve. Right. And by the time he was 50, he was a multi, multi-millionaire and retired and lives in Palm Springs now and oh, plays yeah. golf every day. You know, <laughs> know who I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he said, that was the critical thing. It was not the bankruptcy. It was all the lessons that I wrote down. Yeah. Well, one of my first mentors was a, a little-known man by the name of Gene Kuhlman. And I went into a real estate office, my first real estate office, and I met Gene on the very first day. And Gene was 40 years my senior. And he'd had a successful career as an engineer working for the government and then owned his own business. And he decided to do real estate in his 60s. And I was 21 years of age. And we became friends, eventually became partners for a number of years. And many years after he retired and I'd gone on, now I've owned 47 businesses. And I've made money with 46 of them. But I had one that lost. And it was a $2.9 million loss. And it's not that that's a lot of money. It's just that at the time, it was everything I had. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I'm feeling sorry for myself. And this happened and this happened. And I wasn't quite at the take responsibility phase yet. There were some folks that acted in a certain way. And then I did some things. And here we go. So I sat down with Gene. We're having lunch. And he said, well, Brian, you've been to a $2.9 million seminar. What are you going to do with the information? And I'm like, what, what, Gene, what do you mean? He goes, if you paid $2.9 million for that information, how valuable is it to you? It's obviously what you needed to know. You failed because it was what you needed to know. There were things you did that you would say you wouldn't want to do again. There were patterns you showed. There was, you know, you were cavalier in this way. You were not attention to detail this way. You got into a business relationship with someone you wouldn't get into again. What did you learn? I can tell you this, that without that $2.9 million loss... Buffini and Company would never exist today. Wow. No question. Wow. And it was a $2.9 million seminar. And I don't want to pay it again, but it was very valuable. And it's made me a heck of a lot more than $2.9 million. Remember the famous uh, story of Thomas Edison when he's working on the electric light bulb? And, of course, he was extremely well-known. He was like a Bill Gates or a yeah. Jeff Bezos. Everything he did was in all the newspapers. And it came out that he had made... 5,000 attempts to find a carbon impregnated filament Mm -hmm. to power a light bulb. And it all failed. So a reporter came from the New York Times. He was in New Jersey, across the water, and came over and asked him, Mr. Edison, why do you persist in this nonsense trying to invent an electric light bulb? You've failed 5,000 times. And he said, young man, he said, you don't understand the way the world works. He said, I've not failed at all. He said, I have successfully identified 5,000 ways that will not work. Amen. And that puts me 5,000 steps closer to the way that will. And I will find the way that works. And he did and changed the world forever. You think about him, right? 1,093 patents. Yes. Just three. He gave us light. He gave us the motion picture camera. And he gave us the phonograph. He gave us music. He gave us cameras, lights, camera, action, Ah! right? Those (laughs) are three of 1,093. Wow. And I have a quote. I have it sitting around the corner that says, opportunity comes dressed in overalls and looks a lot like work. 
back over here, I have a brass sign from Michelangelo's office. And it's a replica that says, Ancaro in Paro, I am still learning. Uh, and he was still learning. He did the Pieta at 23. Wow. The Sistine Chapel. Michelangelo's not a painter. Michelangelo's a sculptor. Yes. But Michelangelo Buonrati is revered around the world for the Sistine Chapel. He did that as a side job to pay his bills. Yeah. And it took him five years to keep his patrons happy. It comes dressed in overalls and it looks a lot like work. You have challenged and educated and inspired me and many others for a lot of years on our psychology, the psychology of achievement, the psychology of selling. You've been around this so many times at time management and goals and leadership. You've taught people how to speak. As you've developed and as you've grown and as you've learned, you've taught and trained people and built resources for people to learn. It's been your passion. It's been your life. It's been your livelihood. What I got to see something today, Brian, was pretty special. As we talked and as we communicated, the fire that still burns in you after all these years, the enthusiasm with which you talk about self-development, the opportunity to change your life and change your circumstances, and what it meant to you then and what it means to you now and the joy that you still have, the drive and desire you have to still grow and learn and read books. I'm inspired. I'm inspired today. You know, This is my life. I've been doing this for a long time. I still remember where I came from, but I also have some desires of where I want to go. And you did a phenomenal job today of just helping me and our audience and uh, continually inspire. You're a man that's full of wisdom, full of love, full of the Spirit of God. You've had a fantastic marriage for 38 years, I believe. Yes. Four fantastic kids. You've lived a great life. You're a great American born in Canada. It's, you know, what more does it get? Well, we've had such a spectacular time with Brian here. And I just want to make sure that you guys all avail of this fabulous resource that is available for free. And Brian, I want to thank you for this. It's called The Power of Habit, Seven Steps to Successful Habits. And all you have to do is go to com slash Buffini. And you can download this resource for free. It's fabulous. I encourage you to go and explore com. There's a treasure trove of resources and materials that I'll be honest with you, there's very little on that website that I haven't owned in the past. Uh, some of it didn't make through the fire. I have my sales manager next door buying dozens of Brian's training programs on selling right now. It's just the best stuff. I have six speakers that work for Buffini and Company that are currently going through the Brian Tracy speaking course. So I'm an advocate. I'm a fan. Brian, speak to this for a little bit. Uh, very thankful you're providing value for our audience today. Talk about this resource, The Power of Habits. Well, successful people have success habits. Mm. And success habits are all learnable. Yeah. Nobody is born with them. People can learn them, and they can learn them by practice. So what I've done here, we say that 95% of everything that you think and feel and achieve is a result of habit. Mm -hmm. That's going all the way back to Aristotle. And so there are seven steps to successful habits that will help you to think more effectively, make better decisions, and take purposeful actions. So I've put together this free ebook where you'll learn what these steps are and the specific habits that are shared by the most successful people on the planet. If you want to accomplish or earn 10 or 20 times as much as the average person, 
then you need to learn and practice these habits. And you can get access to this free ebook at briantracy.com stroke buffini. There it's it just, is. It's a gift from us to you. Well, bless you and thank you. And you are a very generous man. You're always giving away resources. And I think the law of the harvest is people get these resources. They love them. They enjoy them. And then they come back and they want to do business with you and you and your organization. And so they should. I'm happy to endorse it. I've been listening and reading you for 31 years. And my only regret is I'd wish it, I'd have done it 35 years ago. <laughs> so thanks so much. Brian, we so appreciate you and appreciate you being here today. It's fantastic. Thank you. I leave every one of our broadcasts with a little phrase that my grandfather used to say. And he would say, may the roads rise up to meet you. And may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sunshine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, Brian Tracy, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. I hope you guys have enjoyed this broadcast today. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye.